You're listening to a message at Riverland Hills Baptist Church. If you're in the Columbia area, come worship with us this Sunday at 9, 1015, and 1130. Check us out on Facebook or visit riverlandhills.org to find out more about our ministries. Good morning. All right, it's good to see you guys. Uh, as Pastor Ryan said, my name is Doc. I am the young adult pastor here. And if you have a Bible this morning, I would invite you to turn it to Genesis 22 or Bible app. They all work the same. I realize this is 2017, so that may be the case. Uh, most of you, when you get to Genesis 22, you'll immediately recognize this text. Uh, this is the story that bookends Abraham's call. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now, I warned the other three services, and so I warn you as well. It's my conviction that biblical preaching should mirror the text that is being preached. Uh, so the structure of the sermon, the tone of the sermon, the emotion of the sermon should all be found in the text. And so in Genesis 22, we don't see a, a whole bunch of bullet points, but what we are going to see is one clear picture of who God is. And so the warning is this, you are about to hear a pointless sermon. But it's been done before, it's been preached before, so hopefully we can do it some justice. Now I want to start with a simple four-word question, and that question is this. Do you fear God? Now, when I ask whether or not you fear God, I'm not asking if you're deathly afraid of him. See, that English word fear implies some sort of uh, emotional distress that's based upon danger. So that's not what I'm talking about at all. Now, we know God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's always present. So what that means is we understand to some extent God is big, and sometimes things that are really big have a tendency to frighten us. Now, my wife has told me that Pastor Ryan has used this illustration previously, but I'm going to go ahead and roll with it. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, a few Grand Canyoneers. Perfect. Awesome. What about seeing a skyscraper so tall that you literally have to bend over backwards to see the top? Yeah, we've seen that. The sheer size, the bigness of those things sometimes incites some uneasiness within the pit of our stomach. See, the size of those things make us admit how small we really are. And when our smallness is compared to those things' bigness, uneasiness happens. And so now when talking about God, it's very natural to feel some awe or some trepidation when we compare God's bigness to our smallness. But even then, we haven't gained the essence of what fearing God is. The biblical concept of fearing God, the fear of the Lord, it centers on one word, and that word is obedience. And this obedience is not motivated by terror. It's motivated, motivated by love, right? Those who fear God obey him out of an overflow of love for him. The person who fears God considers reckless obedience to the word of God as their primary responsibility. So when I ask whether or not you fear God, I'm really asking, are you willing to obey God? 
And so that's why we're going to find ourselves in Genesis 22 this morning, because we're going to see the fear of the Lord played out in a circumstance that makes no sense. Father, speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, transform our hearts, renew our minds, and by your grace, lead us to unwavering obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. So a second ago, I mentioned that Genesis 22 was a bookend to the call of Abraham. The other one begins in Genesis 12. This is the story of God calling out a people to himself through one man, the man Abraham. In Genesis 12, we see God's initial call that he calls Abraham from his homeland to a land that he has no idea, he's never seen it before. And God highlights this call, this promise, by telling Abraham, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and your family is going to bless the rest of the families on the planet Earth. Fast forward to Genesis 15, God doubles down on this promise by telling, by the way, a still childless 75-year-old Abraham that this great nation, this family is going to begin with a boy, a son, a biological heir. 25 years later in Genesis 21, God's promise is fulfilled in the most impossible way imaginable. Sarah, Abraham's 90-year-old wife, gives birth to a son, Isaac. God commanded, Abraham obeyed. God promised, Abraham believed. God's provided a son. His name is Isaac. Now we're in Genesis 22. Read with me the first two verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Is anybody else confused beside me? Genesis 12, God promised to make a great nation out of Abraham. Genesis 15, he said he was going to do it through a son. Genesis 21, Isaac is born and immediately in Genesis 22, take Isaac to a mountain called Moriah and sacrifice him. This doesn't make sense. How does this command of God make you feel? Let's put ourselves in Abraham's shoes for a second. Hold on, God. You want me to do what? You promised this, promised this boy. Here he is, and now you want me to kill him? See, oftentimes, when we read this biblical text or others like it, we tend to gloss over the emotion and the angst and the tension that saturates the words of Scripture. See, we view Abraham as some programmed, heartless, robotic machine. Abraham was a real, live, red-blooded human being who felt the entire range of emotions that you and I feel. And so it's safe to conclude that Abraham, when God commands this, is both confused and terrified. After all, the Bible says Abraham loved Isaac. This was the son of promise. This was the kid that God was going to make a great nation through. This doesn't make sense. 
But I intentionally glossed over a key word, and that's the word tested. Look again at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. You see, if Abraham was going to be the father of a nation of God's own people, he had to prove himself worthy. He had to prove that he had unshakable faith. He had to prove that he feared God more than he loved Isaac. And as a parent, I say, wow. He had to prove he'd obey no matter what. And so God lays before him the most difficult, heart-wrenching test that we can imagine. And here's Abraham's response. Verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Do you remember Genesis 12? God commanded. Abraham obeyed. Genesis 15, God promised. Abraham believed. And now in Genesis 22, God commands. He tests him. Offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And Abraham immediately begins to obey. There's no interruption between verses two and three. Abraham gets right to the task at hand, ignoring every human emotion that certainly screamed out for him to defy God. Abraham immediately begins to obey. And one more time, I say, wow, does that not astonish anybody else? Can we get honest for a second? Let's get honest. Faith family, right? How many of us would have been that quick to obey a command that seemed to be that crazy? See, I've got two babies, a three-year-old and a six-month-old. I don't know how I could love them more. And if God commanded I sacrifice them, I can promise you I would not move as quickly as Abraham did. And my guess is that you wouldn't either. But still God commanded Abraham begins to obey. And this is where the question I began with resurfaces. Do you fear God? Do you love him enough to obey him, whatever he says, out of an overflow of that love? I realize that's a difficult question, but I don't want us to run from it. I want us to sit right in the middle of this tension. I want us to feel the weight of what's going on in this text and to examine our hearts in light of it. Do I fear God? See, Riverland Hills Faith family, I believe, as Pastor Ryan has said, that God has got awesome plans to use this church to put a dent in the Midlands and in our state and in our country and in our world for him. But first, we have got to be willing to submit ourselves to his word, to be obedient to what he has said about us. See, that's the essence of the Christian life. It's obedience. Is your life marked by obedience to the word of God? If it's not, there's an issue there, brother, sister. Reckless obedience to what God has commanded, no matter what. That's our first priority. So in these three verses, we've already learned two things about God. The first is this. God is going to test the quality of our faith. If you look Old Testament to New, time and again, God tests the quality of the faith of his people. Why should we be any different? 
God is going to make us prove to ourselves and to everyone else that we're willing to obey him no matter what he says. Secondly, he's going to do this by demanding from us what we hold most dear. Because after all, that's the definition of sacrifice. See, Carolina fans, Carolina fans, squeaked one out yesterday, congratulations. I'm happy for you. Would it have been a sacrifice for you to turn down Clemson tickets to watch them play Boston College in Memorial Stadium yesterday? My guess is you would have thrown those tickets in the trash can and moved on, not thought about it twice. And Clemson fans, would it have been a sacrifice for you not to attend yesterday's Carolina-Louisiana Tech game? My bet is that you didn't lose an ounce of sleep over it. Why? Because sacrifice is only sacrifice when something you value is at stake. Now lean in close. Listen to what I have to say right here. God is only God in our lives when we are willing to treasure him value him, believe him, obey him above everything else. See, but the fact of the matter is our sinful tendency is to put our treasure in trinkets, some provision, some creation that God has given us. Pastor Ryan has said this before, we are prone to worship the created instead of the creator. And so right here in the middle of this sermon, I've got a really penetrating question. Is there anything in your life that takes priority above the God of the universe? Is there anything in your life, if he said, get rid of it, you would be unwilling to do so? If that's the case, what you've done is made that thing a God with a little g in your life. Now, if you belong to God through faith in his son, Jesus, you can take this next statement to the bank. God is going to come after that thing, which is preventing you from obedience because nothing will threaten his place in your life. He's going to test your faith. Are you willing to place him as priority over everything else? Your spouse, your kids, Grandkids, if you've got them, your job, your social status, your football season tickets. Do you fear God? Now, if we move forward through verses four, five, and six, we see that it was a three-day journey from Abraham to get where he was to the region of Moriah. Now, once again, feel this emotion with me. This is three days for Abraham to think about what God has commanded him to do. Let me see if I can illustrate this. How many of y'all had parents who like really believed God's word? Anybody? Yes, a few, a few. Okay. I had those parents too. In fact, especially my daddy, I had what I like to refer to as King James parents. And if that doesn't make sense to you, it will in a second. But that meant there were two things that I knew about my dad. First, my dad loved me. And here's how I knew. Proverbs 13, 24 
says in the King James Version, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. Mm, my daddy loved me. That was supposed to be funny. Secondly, I knew my daddy believed God's word because listen to what Proverbs 23, 13 says, withhold not correction from the child for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. I'm here, aren't I? But see, the worst is when I got a little bit older. About 10, 11, 12, some foolishness was bound up in my heart. And when daddy would, it would only come out when daddy would leave, by the way. When the cat's away, mice will play, right? And so daddy would leave and mom would tell me to do something and I would just be off the chain, flat out disobedient. Until she said the six most terrifying words I've ever heard and you all will know them. Wait until your daddy gets home. And every boy in here says, amen. We know what that's like. And for hours on end, I was left in emotional agony thinking about what it would be like when daddy got home. Would I be able to talk him out of it? Well, no, because he's going to believe mom before he believes me. And so then plan B was put every pair of underwear on that I could find in order to soften the blow. But inevitably, the moment would come that I would walk through the door and my heart would sink because my fear was about to be realized. And in a much more profound way, Abraham had three days to travel to a place to do something that God commanded him to do. Only he knew it. He had three days to mull it over. But the Bible says he continued on. And then finally, Moriah comes into view. And I can imagine when Abraham looked at that mountain, his heart sank in fear. His heart sank in terror because he knew what it meant. He continued on. He placed wood on his son's back. He carried a knife. He carried the flint needed to start a fire. And the Bible says they went together up the mountain. And then we come to verse seven. Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And if you're a parent, there's no way you can free this without emotion, without tears welling up in your soul because Abraham has to tell his son, has to answer the toughest of questions. And in verse eight, he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they both went together. And one more time, I say, wow, this is staggering. Your worship guides today have the words unshakable faith written on them. And verse eight is the reason why. Remember, Abraham doesn't know that this is a test. All he knows is God gave me Isaac. Now God's demanding that I give Isaac back to him. He has no idea what's going on, but still he has the spiritual fortitude to say, God will provide. That is crazy to me. But if we back up to verse five, we'll see something even more astonishing. Listen to what God's word says. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
Abraham just told his two young men, Isaac and I, we're going up there. And both, Isaac and I, we're coming back. But hold on. God commanded a sacrifice. God told Abraham to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. How could he say that? The author of Hebrews provides us some clarification. Hebrews eleven nineteen, He, Abraham, said that God, or considered that God was able to even raise him, Isaac, from the dead. So here we go. Abraham believed, according to Hebrews, that even if he offered Isaac as a burnt offering before the Lord, God would resurrect Isaac from those ashes. They would walk down the mountain together and God would fulfill the promise that he promised Abraham so many years ago. Wow. And if you're like me, you're thinking, how? How in the world could Abraham know that? How could he believe that God would resurrect Isaac from the dead? And my answer is simple, Chick-fil-A. You might be thinking, Doc, you're off your rocker. Maybe I am, but I think it works. Chick-fil-A is my favorite restaurant. Give me a number one, extra pickles, large waffle fry, large half and half tea, and count them one, two, three Chick-fil-A sauces. Will anybody in this congregation give me an amen? Okay, I got one. That's good enough. It's perfect every single time. And that's why Chick-fil-A is my favorite restaurant. They've proven to me time and time again that they offer a superior quali uh, product, uh, quality unmatched, service that's fantastic. Chick-fil-A and I have history. See, I don't sit around wondering whether or not my number one with extra pickles and large waffle fry and half and half tea and three Chick-fil-A sauces is gonna be delicious. I already know it is, and so I order it without reservation. There's no hesitancy on my part. Chick-fil-A and I have history. So how could God, I mean, how could Abraham believe that God was going to resurrect Isaac? How could he believe that God was gonna provide a sacrifice? It's easy. Abraham and God had history. See, don't you remember we talked about it a little while ago? God promised in Genesis 15 a son to a 75-year-old man and his 65-year-old wife. As far as we know, that's physically impossible. But then in Genesis 21, Abraham himself witnessed God resurrect Sarah's dead womb to give Isaac life. How did Abraham believe this? Why could he believe it? God had done this before. Abraham had seen God bring that which was dead back to life. And so he told those two boys, we're coming, we're going and we're coming back. Unshakable faith. Abraham, once again, considered obedience to the word of God as his primary responsibility. It's proven time and time again in this text. Our question's back at the surface again. Do you fear God? See, are you willing to trust him farther than your eyes can see? 
higher and deeper than your mind can comprehend? Are you willing to be obedient to what he says when what he says seems to make no sense? Can I tell you something? You can. God is absolutely and totally trustworthy. How do I know? Look at verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Again, full of emotion. Abraham is about to sacrifice his son. He did not say, I'm pretty sure, here I am. No, no, no. Here I am, Lord, speak. And God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know, key words, that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And we can all exhale. God stops Abraham just before the unthinkable happens. And I think that that brings to light two more things that we see from this text. The first is this. God never intended Isaac to be harmed. See, verse 1, when we, talk, when we talked about this word tested, that was our literary clue signaling that Isaac was safe. God was not acting outside of the bounds of his character by telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac was safe the whole time. And that brings us to the second point. Abraham was the point of this sacrifice, not Isaac. This was about Abraham from the very beginning. Would Abraham in his heart and his mind be willing to sacrifice a father's love for a son in order to obey what God had commanded? You see, all that Abraham knew and all that he could see and all that he hoped for his son Isaac, he laid at the feet of God on the top of that mountain. And when his hand is stretched out, the sacrifice was complete. And God stops Abraham. Sacrifice accepted. I see now that you fear me more than you love your son, seeing you would have not, not have withheld him from me. Why? Abraham was convinced that God would provide because God had proven himself faithful to Abraham before. And we wrap this up in verse 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham obeyed with reckless abandon a command from God that made zero sense from a human perspective. He had the faith based upon his previous experience with God to know, to have confidence in that God somehow, some way was going to provide. And right behind him, once the sacrifice of himself was accepted, there's a ram caught in the thicket. I know all of you are ag scholars. What's a ram? A ram is a male sheep. That's going to be important in a second. Abraham feared God. He obeyed him no matter what the command because of previous experience with God. This wasn't blind faith. 
This was calculated faith. This was faith based upon reason. God promised in Genesis 12, fulfilled the impossible in Genesis 21, and did the same thing again in Genesis 22, and Abraham was confident of it the entire time. And you might be thinking, nice story, Doc, but what does that have to do with me? I neglect it on purpose to tell you about Moriah, the mountain which God led Abraham to. According to 2 Chronicles 3.1, this, Moriah, is Jerusalem. If that's not enough for you, this is the place where God's temple would be built, meaning this is the place where God's presence would dwell. And if that's not enough for you, hundreds of years later, this is the place where the spotless Lamb of God would walk up a mountain to be sacrificed as a substitute for your sin and for mine. Genesis 22 has been pointing us to the gospel of Jesus Christ all along to the moment in history when God would place wood upon the back of his son, lead him up a mountain, except this time he was the provision. So here's the million dollar question. If God, through his son Jesus, has made the provision for us to save our souls from eternal damnation, as Josh said earlier, why wouldn't we trust him to provide for what he's commanded us to do in this life? Don't you think he's able? The resounding answer is yes, absolutely yes. God is able to provide, but he commands obedience. He commands unshakable faith. So one last time, do you fear God? Are you willing to obey what he says farther than your eyes can see and your mind can comprehend? Genesis 22 tells us you can. The provision God made through his son, Jesus, that we see pictured by Abraham and Isaac proves that God is trustworthy, proves that what he says, he fulfills, he requires our obedience. Look to the mountain, look to Moriah, look, believe, obey without hesitation. So in a second, Josh and our band are gonna come back up and, and we're gonna sing one more song but I want you to do something with Genesis 22. Christian, what is it in your life that is preventing you from being obedient to a command you know God has given you? Repent of that. Obey what God says. He's proven he's going to provide. Non-Christian, is God pulling at the strings of your heart, inviting you into a relationship with him? Look, I've been there. I know that that's an uncomfortable situation. But remember the mountain. Remember the sacrifice. Remember his son. He's made the provision for you already. Believe, obey. 
And then lastly, if you're a guest with us today and God is convincing you, calling you to be a part of our faith family, he's got something awesome in store for you. Would you believe? Would you obey? Would you respond to him in faith? Do you fear God? If so, obey him without hesitation. Let's pray.